So good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Heights Christian Church. I'm Pastor John Sunkrant. I'm glad you all were able to make it today. Welcome to our Veterans Day celebration. And thank you to all the veterans who served out there. It's uh, one of those experiences that you wouldn't trade the world for. And you wouldn't go through it again for all the money in the world either. Because life is tough. You have to be tougher. So for those of us who served in the armed forces, sometimes it is necessary to remain hidden from the enemy. That's in order to survive. For those of you who are married, you understand as well. Of course, I'm kidding. Man, you cannot hide from your wife. She will find you. Bring chocolate. Back on October 22nd, 2003, I was riding my motorcycle after work, and I was hit by a full-size van. Now, I'm a big old boy, and I figured they can see me. Well, they didn't. And that's what uh, caused me to lose my left leg. May of 1992, I was driving on Gibson when I was stationed out here at Kirtland. And this guy was in the center lane. We were heading west on Gibson, and he saw a gas station. Unfortunately, he didn't see that it was closed, but the prices were way lower than they were at that time. So he turned from the center lane to try to get into the parking lot, and he hit my car. And that's when I first injured my back, and the results I still feel to this day. So I've almost been hit numerous times in many vehicles, many sizes, including my RV, which is not a small one, because people don't pay attention. Been a lot of close calls. I've also caused a lot of close calls because none of us are perfect. Sometimes we need to open our eyes and pay attention. Back when I was in the Army, the phrase I heard most often was, pay attention to detail. In other words, be aware of your surroundings, keep your mind on the task at hand, and make sure you do it right. Because you don't want to have to do it a second time, you don't want somebody's life to end because you didn't do it right the first time. Actually, that's not true, that was the second most heard phrase. The first one was, drop and give me 20. That was 20 push-ups back when I could do them. Now I'm lucky to find myself, if I fall down, to be able to get back up to do one push-up to get off the ground. Unless it's an orange sherbet push-up that comes in a toilet paper roll, I could probably do one of those. So I was taught to pay attention by the Army, to pay attention to detail. And when I went to the Air Force, it served me well. Because I worked on aircraft. And the lives of the pilots was, was in my hands. I was aircraft maintenance. And if I failed to do my job properly, they failed to get to go home to their families. And that was a lot of pressure on me. But it was very important that we understand we need to pay attention to detail. So when I worked out here, I worked on all kinds of airframes. And that's fixed wings and rotary wings. That's airplanes and helicopters to you, those of y'all that don't know. So while paying attention to detail can save your life, it can certainly save someone else's. 
You see, it seems sometimes, you're wondering where I'm going with this. It seems sometimes that the Pharisees didn't pay attention to what was going on around them. Or they choose to ignore the things they saw because it didn't fit their agenda. Today we'll look in John chapter 6 for the most part. I think it's all 6 except for a couple of verses. As our main text, we read uh, John 6, 7, and 8 this past week. The first thing I want to show you is the miracles that Jesus did in this section. The first one is found in all four Gospels, and it's the only one found in all four Gospels. And that's where Jesus fed the multitude of 5,000 men. Let's go to that in John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. And after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. uh, Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remains, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, And filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. See, in the very first part of the section, we read that the multitude of the people had followed Jesus because they saw the signs which he had performed in healing the diseased. It's like Jesus had gotten noticed for the miracles of healing those who had illnesses and the people followed him to see more. Then he feeds them with five barley loaves and two small fish. That's 5,000 men. Women weren't counted in this. We don't know exactly how many were there. So don't misread this as barely loaves, as I've done myself. It's barley. I'm not infallible. So afterwards, there were 12 basketfuls left over out of five loaves. They might have been barely loaves. I don't know. They were, they were not huge. The little boy was carrying them. The men that were there, they saw the sign what Jesus did. They thought that he had to be the prophet promised by Moses. The same one mentioned in chapter 1, 21, 
verse 21 of the book of John when they asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet. That story is found in Deuteronomy chapter 18 starting in verse 15 if you want to read that later about the prophet. Because Jesus, because they thought that Jesus was the prophet, and he was, they wanted him to become king and destroy their oppressors, the Romans. The Jews were looking for a political messiah. But that was not Christ's mission here on earth. So Jesus departed, went up into the mountains to be alone. This is something that Jesus often done had done, was that he went up, spent some time alone, resting, and in prayer. So if you want to be more like Jesus, go up to the mountains. Spend some time in prayer. Sometimes you need to be by yourself and just commune with God. The next miracle mentioned in this section was when the disciples departed the area from where they were and started rowing across the Sea of Galilee without Jesus in the boat. You see, Scripture tells us that later Jesus joined them when he walked on the water after they had gone three to four miles across. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles across. But they weren't going across at the widest point. I think uh, it was probably four to five miles that they were going. The second miracle in this story is that Jesus walked on water. And the third miracle... I say it's a miracle, is that when Jesus stepped into the boat, they were immediately on the shore where they were going. Some scholars like to say that that's not a miracle, that they were already there. Well, why would he step in the boat if they were already there? He could walk on water. I think the last trip when he stepped in was probably a mile, mile and a half, that they just went straight across. I can't snap anymore. That they just went straight across. And that in itself is a miracle. Now, I mentioned those. I didn't read through them, but I mentioned them. Because they were two miracles that I want you to have context for, for this next part. And the miracles were only witnessed by those in the boat. And that's the the disciples, part of the twelve. They could see who Jesus is because they paid attention to the details. They had a lot more than the followers that they had seen. So in Luke's account, after feeding the 5,000, this is where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God. But what did the people do after seeing signs? The next day, they had gotten into a boat, went to look for Jesus. They went to Capernaum. And when they found him, they asked him, when did you come here? Because they knew that he was not in the boat with the disciples. So let's read John chapter 6. Verse 26 through 30. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do? That we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform, will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? 
he, he, he just told them, you saw the signs. They saw the signs. They went to Capernaum to look him up. What signs will you perform to prove you are who you say you are? See, their eyes were closed to reality. The first response Jesus told them was that you saw the signs. That's why you followed me. And you followed me because your bellies were full. And the first thing they asked for is signs. They wanted more. They remind me of some of the dogs in my neighborhood who were kind of skeptical of me at first until I pulled out bacon and I gave them bacon and they remember that. Now they want bacon. They come to be petted, but they want bacon. It might be harsh to compare these guys to dogs, but even dogs know the truth. All they were looking for was to get food and to be entertained. My interpretation. That's what it seems like. They weren't looking to see who Christ was. They were looking for entertainment and for food. Because of that, let's continue chapter 6, verses 31 through 36. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you that Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Here the followers talk about the manna from heaven when Moses was around, when the children of Israel wandered through the desert. Jesus tells them that it wasn't Moses that gave it to you, it was God. God supplied it. They asked for Christ to give them this bread always. Again, I think they're thinking of their stomachs. And not what's really happening. It seems they were looking for their next free meal and not understanding what Jesus was saying. Then Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life. That whoever comes to him will never go hungry. And whoever believes in him will never thirst. A few more times in this chapter, Jesus mentions that he is the bread of life. That he is the bread that comes from heaven. And then he says something that causes them to leave. So let's skip down in chapter 6, verse 53 through 55. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. See, Jesus was not speaking in the literal sense, but in the spiritual sense. The disciples complained about what was being said, and Jesus responded with this. Let's skip to 61 through 66 in the same chapter. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? 
It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It is the spirit who gives life. And Jesus speaking the words that are spirit and are life. It didn't make any sense to those who were there. They had not been paying attention. They couldn't see what was going on. And so they did not believe. They did not understand. And they walked with him no more. Because they couldn't see who Jesus Christ is. At this, Jesus asked the twelve. They were there left with him. Do you want to leave too? Peter responded by saying this. Chapter 6, verses 68 through 69. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The twelve could see who Jesus Christ is. But those who left could not. If Jesus had not been performing miracles... If he had been out performing miracles and he's saying, can you see me now? Do you see who I really am? The people would still not have seen it because they made the choice to ignore it. In fact, he did tell them who he was many times. And they still could not see it. Jesus knew this because he stated outright, some of you still do not believe. In chapter 7, the brothers did not believe, the brothers of Jesus. They sort of taunted him by telling him to go to the Feast of the Tabernacles in Judea and to perform his miracles there so that everyone could see his works. And Jesus responded by telling them, and this is a paraphrase, No, I'm not going right now. Why don't y'all go on ahead without me? Because my time has not yet come. His brothers did not believe who he was. Later on, though, they did. And they were martyred for this belief. I love my brothers. But if one of them come up to me and said, I am the coming Messiah, there's no way I would perpetuate that lie because I know my brothers. I would not perpetuate that lie, and I surely would not give up my life for a lie. But they did. Not for a lie. They gave up their life for the truth so that people could see that Christ is real and that he is the Messiah. Christ continues to do miracles later on in chapter 12. Verse 37, we see this. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. All they had to do was open their eyes and see that Christ was who he said he was. And that he is who he says he is. All of those signs that they asked for. 
they got. And yet they still did not believe him. However, in chapter 9, and I won't dive too deep here because Jeremy might talk about that next week. We see a blind man receive his sight. And at the end of the story, he believed and worshipped Jesus. Even a blind man could see what the Pharisees could not see. It was right in front of him. Right after, the, right after this, Jesus said that he came into the world for judgment and to help those who could not see to see. Here he is talking about those who have yet to see that he wants to, and he wants to help them understand that he is the Messiah. He opened the eyes of the blind man and now he can see who Jesus is. Jesus didn't ask him, can you see me now? The man could see that Jesus is the Christ and he worshipped him. Are you blind to who Christ is? Are you blind to the world around you because you refuse to see the truth? Paul mentions those who refuse to see the truth and follow Jesus. And he tells them what to do in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, And from such people, turn away. I believe we are in our last days. However, it seems that every generation has believed that. Because time marches on and people just get worse. Nobody knows when Christ will return. It wasn't yesterday or we are all in trouble. Paul says that the people will have a form of godliness but deny its power. And we are to turn away from these people and have nothing to do with them. And that includes voting for them if they are politicians. These are the same people who not only try to shame you into believing their lie by calling you names. But they will also try to shame you into not calling out certain pastors or religions as having false teachings. There's a quote I've heard often. Well, if it works for them, who are you to say it isn't real? I thought I was a pastor. I've heard this statement a lot. I'm a pastor who teaches others the truth in scriptures. But more importantly, I am a child of the Most High King and heir to the throne of grace. And I am called to speak out against the evil in this world. My Savior, Jesus Christ, gave me that command in Matthew 28. To go out and to make disciples. See, I will call out pastors who never read scripture like Joel Osteen. And those who pervert scriptures to make their own point for defending their sins. Take your pick on who that is. None of us are perfect, but they need to be called out. At least the guest pastors that speak at Osteen's church know what the Bible looks like. 
People cannot see the evidence of the corruption in front of them because it is packaged in a neat little box and it makes them feel good. Guess when you won't feel good? When you, when you don't quit uh, associating with this evil, you won't feel good on Judgment Day and throughout eternity unless you discover the truth that's right in front of you to open your eyes and see who Christ is. Can you see Christ now? Not in their sermons. Let's change gears for a minute. How many of y'all like photography? I don't mean taking your phone off your hip and taking a few pictures with it. I mean the actual real camera, holding it up to your eyeball, closing one eye, and all you see is what's through the lens. My brother asked me one time, he says, Why do you like photography? We were in Tennessee on a backcountry road, so I just stopped the car in the middle of the road. Got my camera out, leaned up against the hood. I said, I want you to take a look at that tree that's laying down over there, and what do you see? He says, I see a tree that's dead. I said, what else do you see? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, zoom in a little more and focus on that bark, on the way the tree is structured. God's creation screams about the creator. If you look through a camera lens and you see the tree bark on a tree or you see a a bug or you see a bee or you see an animal or you see anything that is in nature and you look at it through the lens and you focus on that one small part, you will see an intelligent design in that. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist if you can see what is going on in the world around you. If you can see nature and think that all of it was just by happenstance, that me and that dead tree have the same DNA, you've missed it. You can't see it. Paul was kicking against the goads on his road to Damascus. Because what he had seen, he was trying to refute in his mind. I did not see what I just saw. There's no way Christ is real. These people are blasphemers. Yet on the road to Damascus, because it was bothering him so much, Christ visited him. And he saw the light. And he saw that Christ is who he says he is. The Pharisees refused to believe it because it doesn't fit into their agenda of who a Messiah should be. Listen to this in Luke. When Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem a few days before being crucified in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I want you to listen to this part. He answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The stones would cry out. Nature screams the existence of God and who he is. If you open your eyes and you see it, 
you can see God and you can see Christ in everything if you open your eyes. The Pharisees had told Jesus to tell the people to quit. And he tells them, the stones will cry out. The stones can see him. Can you? Next time you get a chance, I want you to take a camera, a real one. Put it up to your eye. Close one eye. And look at nature. You see, every week we do videos. And we pull just... We read one part of scripture and we just pull one thing out of that portion to help us be more like Jesus. And that's to help us focus on who Christ is. And scripture screams loudly who Christ is. I'll reiterate, it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist when you can see nature around you and the intelligent design. So stop denying what's in front of your eyes. Throughout the scriptures, and especially what we read, people were seeing miracles being done by Jesus Christ. And they were not believing in him as the Savior of the world. Have any of you ever seen a miracle? Have any of you ever been part of a miracle? We have some in here. I have been on both sides of that coin. I've seen the miracles. I've been part of the miracles. When I got hit on my motorcycle, I bled out. First day, I had nine pints of surgery, or nine pints of blood. Two on the helicopter ride, seven more during the first surgery. If you know the human anatomy, you have nine to 11 pints of blood in you. I should not be here. God had something for me to do. You see, I'm not dead, therefore I'm not done. Christ has given me a mission. I have seen evidence of people healed. I have seen marriages that were done come back to life through the power of Christ. I have seen the changes in myself. And they were witnessed by my children because they told me so. The power and the majesty of Jesus Christ when he brought me back when I strayed. I remember a song, our song leader, Kenneth Frazee, used to sing in church when I was growing up. Y'all don't know him. He's in Tennessee. He's in his 80s. But this is a song that was near and dear to his heart. It's called Thanks to Calvary by Bill and Gloria Gaither. I'm going to read the lyrics in the, in the first stanza and the chorus to you. I want you to listen to these. It says, Today I went down to a place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. And when they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them that thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not this man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. And as the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them that thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. That song gets me every time. Because I see 
that thanks to Calvary and Christ on the cross, what he has done in my life. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that I am not that man that I used to be. Do you see Christ now? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you and he saved you from your sins? Do you understand why it is important to read your Bible and to pray and to seek his face daily in your life? I want you to see Christ work in your life. I want you to see Christ in everything around you. I want you to feel the love of Christ when you see a homeless person or a distraught mother who needs help or a man who is reaching out for help and legitimately wants to change his life so that he can live in the song and thank Christ for going to Calvary, uh, going to the cross on Calvary to save us from an eternity in hell. I want you to be so full of Jesus that when others look at you, they cannot help but see him. If Christ ever asks you, can you see me now? I hope you say, yes, Lord. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's pray. Our most gracious heavenly Father, thank you that we can see you. That we are not like the Pharisees who are blind or refusing to see you for who you are. The creator of the universe and the savior of the world. Thank you Jesus for your sacrifice on the cross that allows us to be forgiven for the horrible sins that we have done. And to live for you. Lord we believe. Help our unbelief and lead us to a point in which others will see Jesus in us. So that they will ask why we are so different. Open the doors of opportunity to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. And give us the boldness to speak out against injustice and evil in the world, as well as the boldness to proclaim your name to those who are seeking you. Grant us peace beyond understanding and help us to always seek you daily in reading the scriptures and in prayer so that our relationship will become stronger. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.